Good morning. Is it good to be here? Best place I can think to be at this particular time. We are in the, the presence of God together. And what we're going to do is uh, dig into God's Word. And as we dig into God's Word, anytime you're doing it with a a Bible study or at uh, worship like this or your own personal reading and study, what you want to do is see the character of God. And that is why we uh, read and study the Bible. We want to see who He is and what He has to say. First and foremost, that is the main reason that we want to be there. And in the Exodus story, this is very easy to do. If you're concentrating on God here, you're not concentrating really on the Egyptians. I don't really think you're uh, concentrating on the Israelites or even concentrating on Moses, although they play key roles. But the main star here of the whole Bible always is God Himself. And what we want to do today is see, again, His sovereignty and His glory in delivering the people that He chose, demonstrating His power His grace, His compassion, His mercy, His patience, His truth, His justice, and His wrath. All those are attributes that are put on display in a huge way in this story. Uh, I think as we think about this today, we want to think about the glorious majesty, the very supremacy of God. For that is where our thoughts always need to return. That is where everything is at. And He puts His glorious display in the theater of this story here in the Egyptian Empire. That's where the theater and that's where all this act takes place. And we just wait to see what all else He's going to manifest as we go through this story. Now in the first part of Exodus, chapter 12 which is what we did last week, we actually experienced the Passover. That was a Passover story of what they were to do, the instructions. And we did that too in letting our senses be involved in the taste and the smell, the sounds, all the sights that was involved. And it took us back to that very Passover night the things that they did there and have done for 3,500 years, we kind of reenacted as just to show the fulfillment in the person of Christ. And by the time you get the, to the end of that Passover, you get the best part, which is really where the New Covenant came from. And um, we showed how that bread and that cup then transferred into what the New Covenant is about. And where Jesus said, take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink. Do this in remembrance of me. So we still do that in our Lord's Supper. And it all came out of this Passover. And uh, that was quite a joy. Thank you guys for letting us uh, do that. I know that's quite different. But the types of Christ that were involved in there, I think, are incredibly detailed in Exodus 12. In so many ways. And we see the fulfillment in the person of Christ. Now what we're going to do this morning is um, we're going to continue with this Passover story, but actually it's the second section of chapter 12. After the Israelites have done their Passover, 
So we take as of last week and kind of transfer it into, let's say, last night or that same night uh, as it's coming up on midnight. And so we advance to that. God does exactly what He said He was going to do. He, he has already mentioned that He was going to bring to judgment the Egyptians. And it was going to be their firstborn who He was going to take. And, and of course He does in this account. Pharaoh then tells Moses and the Israelites to get out. Don't ever come back. Make your exodus. Get out of here. What we want to do now is just focus on the supremacy of God. Focus on that. And we're going to work through this classic passage of the Exodus right here in Exodus 12, 29 through 51. And it's all about what He did. Now, sooner or later, we'll get to that Red Sea, which everybody has heard of too. They've heard a lot about this Passover. This is what's leading up to it. But this is what happened. It's actually death in a huge way in Egypt. Now as we uh, pick it up in verse 29, we'll read 29 and 30 here, the first part, God's judgment. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. There was not a house where there was not one dead. Nothing has ever happened like this before and since. Not in this way. There are two groups of people that have been featured upon all through this book of Exodus. God treats two different people in two different ways. His justice, which is a great attribute of God, is satisfied by His judgment upon the Egyptians. He is a God who is just and holy in all of His ways. And His justice has to be done. But also, He is a God of grace and mercy and love. And He gives all of those to the Israelites who really didn't deserve it either. But that's what He did. This is an incredible God as we just work through this. This is uh, what God can do if it were um, up to just His justice and He didn't put His grace on display. We all would be sent to judgment in hell for eternity. So the question is, why didn't He choose all? The question is, is why does He even choose one? Why did He choose the Israelites? And we know it's not of any works and it's not of anything that we can boast about. It's all God and His free sovereignty. Now we look at this verse 29. Says it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. God already said that. And here we have the fulfillment. It's right here. The midnight hour just adds to the terror of it all. It's not in the daytime, but it's at night, at midnight. And 
How many times have you been scared at nighttime when you just heard a sound and you wasn't for sure what it was? But at midnight and, and those early hours in the morning can be very scary if uh, we don't know what's going on. Well, three nights previously, they had a plague where it was so dark that they couldn't see a glimpse of light at all. It was perfectly dark. Nobody could move and really do anything. You, you couldn't go outside. It was horrible. And to have to go through a complete darkness is just beyond what we can imagine. And here it is. Now it's at midnight and now this happens. They were probably just wanting a good night's rest. You know, just one night of rest and, and sleep. This has to be so alarming when this happens. They were awakened at midnight to a national tragedy spread out through all the land of Egypt. Think about it. Everyone's house was touched except for the Israelites. This was an act of God. How do we know? It's recorded right here. The firstborn. The firstborn were treated special. The firstborn were treated as the joy, the very hope of the families, that firstborn. And now we look at this and we see that the Egyptians lose their firstborn in a way that everybody else is losing them. How do you respond to this? We know it's a great cry that they let out. Can you imagine the sounds that were going on? The, the it was had to be a horror story. The crying, the, the terrible uh, grieving that was going on at that time, the shock. Now the Israelites back years ago or back some time ago had lost their baby boys by the Egyptians. And now God is slaying the firstborn of the Egyptians. And so we see that quite frequently as we go through this plague. We see that God is really no respect of persons because it says here it came from the firstborn of Pharaoh. The Pharaoh firstborn son. The prince of Egypt. Firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, from the king, Pharaoh, all the way down to the dungeon. The prince and the peasant, from the highest to the lowest, it affected everybody. They were equal as they received God's judgment. Even though in people's eyes, Pharaoh's lifted up here and he's a God himself and you have a peasant, a lowly peasant, a lowly servant. They're receiving the same judgment. Does that sound familiar? There is no respect of persons with God. Look in Job 34, verse 19. Yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. 
in a moment. They die in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken away without a hand. For His eyes are on the ways of man and He sees all His steps. God gives. God takes away. That is a fact. A biblical fact. And this is what happened. That's amazing. There it is right there in Job. It's almost like a prophecy in Job. But it's just saying this is what goes on. And that is uh, will leave people terror-stricken when that kind of thing happens, when you're not expecting it to happen. So, and even the livestock, that's an incredible thing. Even the firstborn of the livestock are even taken. So Pharaoh rose in the night. He got up at that time. Not only him, but his servants. And not only the servants, but the Egyptians. It's not like they slept through the night and whenever the sun came up in the morning, then they went into the room and they found their firstborn dead. It was at midnight when they all rose in that nation to see this horrible thing. There was universal lamentation at night time. You think of darkness. You think of sin and death. You think of uh, opposite of the light. God brings His judgment on. This had to be such a loud wailing all over. House after house after house. It would be one thing if you had a house here and a house there and maybe ten miles away another house. But every one of them. You can imagine the lights coming on. And there's no home that didn't have death. Everyone. It was eerie. It was ghastly. It was deadly that night. So we must get that image of really what is happening here. The land is overwhelmed with terrible wailing. Can you hear it? Can you imagine it? This was a shattering night that just blew people's minds, a whole nation. I don't think we can conceive of it. I don't think we can actually hear this. Look at Exodus 11, verse 6. This was something that God had said, told Moses, and he was to tell Pharaoh. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. And it happened. Representing what I would say is the sin of mankind. This actually happened in real truth, but we can also glean out of it. This is what happens to everybody who dies and then without the Lord, can you imagine the horror? Everybody has to die. But we as Christians can see the joy in it in that we know what happens after death. They really sought after that, but I'm not so sure they really knew. They might have thought they knew, but this was a terrible thing. We see in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all the Bible, in verse 120, it says, My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I think the, Israel, uh, the, the Egyptians are getting the picture that this God of the Israelites is much more mighty than the Pharaoh and all the gods of the Egyptians. This God 
is one to tremble before and one who is, we are to be fearful of his judgments. If we are in him, the proper kind of fear is realizing his holiness, also recognizing that he has put us into Christ and we're safe there. We will not have that kind of judgment. But we are to fear God in the healthy, truly biblical way. But there is a fear of God for people who do not know the Lord that would be just beyond my thinking of it. It would be the most scariest thing in the world. Like in Matthew chapter 7 where he says, Depart from me. I never knew you. Get out of here. I don't know you. I, I never knew you. I can't think of anything worse to hear. And these are going to be people who think they're Christians. And they've done things. That would be scary, wouldn't it? Oh, the grace and mercy of God. Are you thinking on that? That's why we're here. Grace and mercy. Look in verse 31 now of Exodus. Chapter 12. Then he, that's Pharaoh, called for Moses and Aaron by night, right there immediately, and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. And also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. Okay, we'll stop there for a moment. 31 through 33. Okay, we've seen the wrath of God. We've seen His judgment. And at the same time, we are seeing the grace of God as He grants it to the Israelites, which He's already said He was going to do. And this is how He treats His own. He withheld His justice from them. Isn't that something? That's what He does for us. He withheld His justice from us because the justice was met at the cross. It was paid for there. Not in our lives by ourselves, but what Christ did at the cross. He grants us favor because of that act. They had been saved by the blood of the lambs. Remember, if they put that blood up there and apply that over the doorpost, which was a matter of obedience, and it was because God told them to do that. He didn't tell the Egyptians to do that. They were saved by the blood of the lamb. And that represents, guess what? The Lamb of God who was to come later. Christ. And that is where salvation is at. That is what takes away the sin. This little act here just was a symbolic act of what was to come. That in itself did not take away sin, but looking ahead to that, it does take away sin, what Christ did. Every one of the Jews was alive. Every one of them. All their firstborn. Isn't that incredible? There was no crying in Goshen... Look in chapter 11, verse 7. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue. Against man or beast that you may know that the Lord does make a difference 
between the Egyptians and Israel. Why? Because he wants to. Because he wants to bring glory. Look in verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you. Why is that? So that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. God's ways, they are incredible. It's the Lord's mercies that the Israelites, and yes, even us, are not consumed. Now, Pharaoh commands Moses to leave, get out. Didn't want to see him. And he'd already told me before, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> That's basically what he said. All right. Well, there he is again, and he's seeing Moses. He called him there at night. It's not of a morning here where the, the bright sunshine is out. He called him by night. This is how urgent this is. Of course it is. Get out of here. Scram. Take everything. Leave now. <laughs> Go worship God. Go serve everything. Take all your all your cattle. Everything. Pharaoh's pride is brought down and gives in to everything Moses had been saying all along. And now he finally says it. His pride is shot and he recognizes it. He has no other response. Now we see the favor of the Lord here. Um, the Egyptians are even urging the people. All the people want the Israelites to go. And they start saying, here, take this. Oh, you want the gold? Hey, go ahead, take it. Silver? How, you want that? Go ahead, take that. Clothes? Oh, no problem. Take them all. Take whatever you want. Get out of here. Just, just take it. Everything. So they plundered the Egyptians in that they took a great deal of possessions out of this great nation of Egypt and they're taking it with them because God is going to use this gold and uh, silver and these articles later on uh, in the tabernacle to worship. So they can worship Him. No, uh, I, you know, nobody had more help getting their bags packed than those Israelites that night. <laughs> here, we'll help you. Here, here's a bag here. What can I do? Here, let's scoop that in there. Get out of here, please. Now, they just lost their firstborn. Everybody else has. They know. They know what's happening here. So the Egyptians freely gave of their wealth. Of course, I think God had His hand in this, that they would do this. Uh, definitely I, I, this is the providence of God that he's making sure that the needs are met God had told Abraham centuries before that this would happen if you remember the covenant that he made with uh, Abraham back in Genesis 15 in uh, verse 13 then he said to Abram know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs that's Egypt and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years nice round number And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And let's say this is probably about 500 years in a prophecy before it happened. Quite a story, isn't it? That's God's promises. Everything that He promises, everything down to every last little detail will come through. We can take that to our heart, can't we? Believe it. 
Believe those promises. Now, there was favor given to the Jews here. And I think really what it's doing, it's demonstrating God's plentiful grace that He has. It's abounding here, isn't it? He's letting them free from the bonds, the, 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 the slavery that they had been in. He's letting them go. He's giving them things that they will need. He's taking care of them. This is called divine providence in a miracle-working God. The wealth of the sinner, which would be the Egyptians here, is laid up for the ones who are just. Look at Proverbs 13.22. Look at this. Sometimes you wonder why the world gets away with the things it does. Of course, the extreme left just hates Christianity and everything that we stand for. And I mean everything. It just seems like there is nothing that they agree on with us. But in Proverbs 13.22, it says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. God will eventually make it right. Somewhere along the line. Look in Job 27, 16 and 17. Though he heaps up silver like dust and piles up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the just will wear it and the innocent will divide the silver. Uh, may not be in this lifetime. I mean, that could happen. But I think we're talking eternally, it's much more. And all this physical, material stuff, it's just going to burn up. We have something much better that will last for eternity. Much better. So, anyway, if you've been treated unjustly by the unjust, God will take care of that. Just trust Him. Okay, we've done God's wrath. We've done God's mercy and grace. Now we'll move on to verse 37 of Exodus 12. And this is His deliverance in the Exodus. What is happening? Starting at verse 37. By the way, I... I think I've skipped a few verses. We didn't cover verse 34. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up and their clothes on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. There we get to read it. Verse 34 is interesting. They took their dough before it was unleavened. You remember they were uh, told to not even worry about the leaven and the bread. There's not enough time. You're going to be getting out of here in a hurry. It's going to be in haste. So therefore you don't have time for the dough or for that um, yeast to rise in this bread. And so therefore 
be ready, just, just you know, and they're going to take it. And so they had their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. So yeah, they're going to take that. Um, now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. Moses had already told them. They had done, they did what they were supposed to do. It's obedience. They're just obeying. They don't have to do anything but just what they're told. That's just, that's just all it is. Just don't have to do anything but just do what you're told. <laughs> the Word of God. Obedience. 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 They're the ones that... They don't make this way of um, departure and exodus. God makes that way. But they're still told to, to do these things here because He's granted them the ability to do that. Now starting at verse 37 here. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot. About 600,000 men on foot besides children. Okay, we'll stop there. Children of Israel. They're on their journey now. And they go from Ramesses in that area. They're all gathered together. They go into this place called Sukkot, which is actually a term for booths. Later on, they will have a feast known as the Feast of Booths. Or tabernacles, but there was a place called Sukkot that tells you where they're going there. Now, it says about 600,000 men on foot. They're walking out of there, scot free, walking out of Egypt, walking out of the darkness. 600,000. But wait. We have women going too. They're not staying back. We have children too. They're not staying back. Remember, Pharaoh wanted those to stay back. How many do you think are there? At least a million? At least. I would say that this uh, this would be considered an army. I think it's considered to be 19 and over or something like that. That's men. We've got... All the teenagers and the children, the women. I think it would be very safe to say that there's possibly two million in this crowd. Even at 600,000, that's a huge number. I believe it. I believe it's a huge number. Men, women, and children put all together. Would you believe that? Well, you know, I read commentaries, and even from what I would call very good commentators. And uh, they're expository. And they're faithful to the Word of God. But when it comes to numbers, people stumble over that kind of thing. And they just can't believe it. And they'll say, well, that 600,000 really isn't 600,000. It's, it's just kind of a number that's thrown out there and it means there were a lot of people. A lot of... A lot of uh, Israelites at that time. But certainly not 600,000 because the land uh, just couldn't handle that. Especially not 2 million people. Listen, we run into all sorts of trouble when there are things that seem unlikely and we start taking numbers and converting them to something else. Oh, well, it doesn't really mean that. When we have to symbolize 
a lot of the Bible because it has numbers. We're going to run into trouble with the very thing that we want to hold true to and that's the Word of God. If we start taking numbers and saying that doesn't mean that, we can go into Genesis and say, well, God created the, the earth in six days, since they rested. That day really isn't a day. Let's see. It's probably a day that is a million years so it fits our evolution. You know what I think of that? I say those Christians are going to have trouble with the rest of Scripture. And they do. And they make, you know, the 40 days and the 40 nights. Well, it wasn't that. So anytime you see numbers, they're going to convert it to something else. I think it is very serious if we cannot take this and say this is what it means. Otherwise, we can say, well, it says numbers in other places. Why would I want to believe that then? So I think we have to be very careful when, if we start uh, reinterpreting things and say, well, I take the Bible literally whenever I can, but I just can't believe this, so therefore I'm going to take it spiritually. I'm going to be, be careful, folks. I'm telling you, the Word of God to me is inerrant. And we don't have to be spiritual about everything and make it say something that it is not saying. And I, I am very strong on that. And so in two commentaries that I, I read that I was very uh, surprised by when they said it, they said, well, it, there's just no way that uh, that many uh, Israelites could be out there. Listen, over 400 years, and how many people are we talking about? Just a couple of million how long has this been country been around? 1600s to about 400 years? How many people do we have here in America? Of course, I know a lot of people came from other countries and stuff. But uh, it's well over 200 million, right? I, I haven't seen the census lately, but wouldn't 2 million be pretty easy to conceive of in 400 years, even as slaves? I see no problem with that at all. Why do we have to change it? Well, sorry to take your time on that, but it just irks me when we have to start changing numbers. And think about that as you interpret Scripture, throughout Scripture. Once you do that, then we can go back to Genesis and start changing that too. No, no, no. Those people are not going to do that. Right? We can't. We can't. We don't have the liberty to do that. Think about that. You've got two million people taking off. What about the next meal? What about the sanitary conditions? You ever gone to a concert where there are about 50,000 people? You know, they've got these porta potties set up all in a row. They're all lined up for almost like a block. (laughs) And you're thinking, wow, they're going out here, there's really nothing. God's really going to have to provide, isn't He? Duh. (laughs) He does provide. No nation had ever done this before. Israel had not done this before. There was no maps, and get this, there weren't even GPSs, Penny. (laughs) You guys use those maps, GPSs and all that? Those are nice. They didn't have any of that. Uh, nope, I, I probably didn't have compasses or anything. 
There's no Exodus handbook to think, okay, what are we, where, where are we at now? What are we they don't have that. They're depending on God. They're depending on God's spokesman, Moses. Okay? We're out of here. What are we going to do now? Would you have been thinking about that too? Probably. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure the women are thinking, oh, breakfast. What are we going to have for breakfast? Right? <laughs> if not that lunch, you know, what are we going to do? Okay, well, we got this. We got this. This unleavened bread. And we got this dough here, and uh, <laughs> maybe we can get get past the first day. They had no idea. Have you ever thought about that? No idea what they're doing. They don't know they're making history. These are history makers, and God's doing this. This is something I think that has to be remembered, and it has been thirty five hundred years. Do you see why that Passover meal is so important even though most of the people doing it don't even really knows, know what it means? But they kept the story going. It's written down. It's here. It's for all to read. Non-Christians know about this story even to a degree. It's like an army marching out there. If you look at... Um, Verse 17, chapter 12, verse 17. Back up a little bit. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. You know what? God means that. That's why it's still here today. That's how great God is so that they would know what God had done. The armies, that's the thing I want to focus on here. Armies, they had an army. Like a National Guard already established, right? The armies here is kind of like the same thing in verse 51 of Exodus 12. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. It means they are divided up they're put in an orderly fashion. It's like an army with its divisions. If you have two million, you need to be in some kind of orderly fashion because it's not all going to be just straight, flat, and nothing that will keep you um, uh, in, in bounds there, you know, or, or to go out of bounds. But they're going to have divisions. They're going to march. They're going to be orderly fashion with their flocks and their herds. Remember, those are going too. This had to be an unmistakably large group. Imagine if you were a Bedouin out there and you hear this noise and you get up on a hill and you look down and you see a mass of people coming. A whole country. Whole countries. It's like a whole nation going out of a nation. Nobody did that. No countries did this kind of thing. No countries just take up and leave. Hey, let's just go to another area. Let's go to the Mediterranean. <laughs> uh, they, don't, they don't do that. And they just had a minimal time to depart. They weren't able to really make their plans. They just marched out in full array. You've heard that song, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing? Oh, for a what? For two million to sing. <laughs> 
two million tongues singing. This had to be just unbelievable. Now, what were the Egyptians doing at this time as they are packing up, marching, moving out, walking along? If you go to the book of Numbers, right after Leviticus, chapter 33, the Egyptians, what are they doing? Three and four. The Israelites departed from Aramises in the first month on the 15th day. That's what's now known as Nisan. On the day after the Passover, the children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. They went out with boldness. They were confident. They were not scared of them all. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. Remember all those plagues and we kept showing how they depended upon their gods? He judged them too. And there they are, burying their firstborn and the Israelites are going out with boldness. And they're looking at what God had done as they're burying them. they would have known the nature of God. Judgment, mercy, grace, love. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us from being in that condition. That's what's happening. It's been quite a scene, wouldn't it? Now, we move now to verse 38. And you have this mixed multitude. What's that? A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. A mixed multitude. Now, these are not the Israelites. These could be other races that had maybe kind of filtered into Egypt, kind of knew the Israelites. It could be like other Semitic people that kind of connect with the Israelites. Some of this crowd, I think a lot of them, were probably Egyptians who maybe had even married into the Jews. And so they, as husband and wife, they stay together. Maybe there are other Egyptians that were so amazed and taken by all the things that had happened through the plagues and this last one that they said, I'm not staying here, I'm going with them. I'm going with their God. Remember Ruth, who went with Naomi back to the nation of Israel? Maybe it was something like that. Um, They're probably impressed with God's power, no doubt about it, and uh, they want to be in the right place. Maybe they just didn't want any more plagues in the land. Who knows how many more are going to happen. I'm out of here. They sure wanted to identify with the winning side, though. There's a problem, though. Later on, and this is what happens, when people are not totally committed to who God is, they're committed to 
nice belief system in the clean living of Christianity and they're taken by that and it's a nice place to be and it's safe. But yet when they really see what God calls for, they don't like that. And if you turn the book of Numbers, we'll see many of these same people in the book of Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. We see something happen here. That's not good. People are complaining. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meal to, meat to eat? And this might be the Israelites, but definitely these mixed multitude. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. The mixed multitude started this. The mixed multitude are those Egyptians who remember all the good food they had back there. Now it's not so easy. They start complaining. When Jesus Christ calls us to to follow Him, He says, forget everything. Die to the past. You follow Me. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Not a piece of jewelry. Cross of Christ and follow me. A true Christian says it's all or nothing. A true Christian does not play with God. A true Christian does not play with God's things or His people. But there are many people who try to identify themselves with the church and yet they hold on to and are led by all the things of the past and they love that kind of lifestyle because they don't want to pay the cost. What a cost it was for those Israelites to go out in the desert. Yeah, you don't get all that food you once had. You get something better. Right out of heaven, it's called manna. But these people got tired of manna. Did you know that there are 400 different ways to prepare manna? It's in a cookbook. <laughs> Might be. <laughs> Just I'm sure they probably thought of all the different ways. What the hell we can do this? I would call these fake church members in the body of Christ today. They're in in the church. They look like they're real, but yet they live like the world, and that's the way they want to live. They don't. When they see the cost, they don't want it. And that's what we see here with this mixed multitude. And then they affect the rest of the Israelites, for they started complaining. Then, do you see? Do you see what it can be? It can be quite a blight upon the church when that happens. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 20. He who This is one of the plagues. This is the seventh plague, hail. And they were given a warning here, uh, the, the Egyptians. And actually, look what they did, some of them. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. They listened to the word of the, of the Lord there at that time because they were in fear of losing their, their livestock and their lives. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So even there, we see Egyptians had a choice of what they could do. 
And some of them actually feared God and uh, what He had said, the Word, and paid attention to it and obeyed it. And it might have been some of those very people there were part of this mixed multitude. Anyway, the prophecy is fulfilled here. It says... um, You have all of the children going out, flocks and herds and everything. It's 430 years. If we move on down now, verse 39, They baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leaven. You remember that? So they had, still had unleavened bread with them. Because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. So they had some unleavened bread to eat there as they went on for a while. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Now we're going to stop in verse 40. And you'll say, wait a minute, you were just talking about numbers a while ago. And I've got a discrepancy in here and I've always wondered about this, Dennis. Here it says 400 and what? 30 years. And we saw earlier that it was 400 years. Now what's going on here? Well, no problem, no fear. A lot of times, how long have we been in this nation? 400 years, right? I mean, I mean this nation has been a nation, Right? Well, actually, you could say 200 years because of the Declaration of Independence. But you had people coming in the 1600s. So let's say a couple hundred years, right? But actually, it was 1776 or 1976. How many here remember uh, that 200th anniversary, the birthday of the United States? (laughs) 200 years. And a lot of you are saying, what? (laughs) That's for my time. (laughs) But, you see... Actually, it's been 200, let's see, 24 and 9, 233 years, hasn't it? Something like that? Okay. But we can say it's been 200 years, 200 years plus. Easy to say 400 years. But if you want to get the exact number here, we get 430 years. Well, let's go back. Let's see, Acts 7 6 is not going to prove that for us. But we're going to go there. There's Stephen, and he's going to say what? But God spoke in this way that His descendants would dwell in a foreign land and they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. So there we go, Dennis. 400 years. Yeah, that's right. Stephen is not giving the exact number there. He's giving a good round figure 400 years. But let's, let's go to Galatians 3.17 where Paul then is going to give us a specific number because it is important. And I think we can compare this and say, oh, okay. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, after that promise, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. 430 years. Is there any discrepancies? No. We've got a good round figure, something like 400 years, and here we have 430 reported by Moses, and also in the New Testament by Paul. Do we have any problem with that? Should we spiritualize that number? No. It's true. It's historical fact. And God, once again, is right. He's always right. This represents when we left Egypt behind us. We left our slavery. 
our bondage. We were sinners. And we loved to sin. may not have ever said that, but that was the case. And He brought us out. He gave us drink from the wells of grace. We get to partake of that. Nothing ever tasted so great and sweet when you became a Christian. He didn't just get us out of bondage, but He brought us into His family. What a community of family you had of the Israelites. The nation there. He did that. And then we can look at it and say, oh, that's where I came from too. That's how it applies to us. So we sit there in awe once again. Well, we'll finish up here. Starting, um, let's see. In the past, the end of the 430 years, verse 41, that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out to the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. This was a solemn night, a holy night, observance. You're going to remember this. This is a memorial of God's power. You can't forget it. Throughout the generations, they would continue with it. Did you know that according to the Old Testament, the Passover will continue on in its observance as it is an eternal observance? There's no reason for it to quit because it's the perfect illustration of salvation, of what happened at the cross. We'll never forget that either. Those things are important to God and He wants us to realize those. I think it's an incredible thing throughout the generations and, and uh, it will continue on. It's been fulfilled. But because it's fulfilled doesn't mean it's done. It's something that is still proclaiming His power, His grace, His glory. Don't ever forget it. Are we going to forget that kind of thing? No. This was a show. This was a, in the theater of Egypt where he put this on display. So it will be perpetuated throughout all the ages. What's the Passover regulations doing here? 43 through 51. Well, I don't know. And it's time to about quit anyway, so why don't we just skip that section and move to 13. I can't do that, can I? We're going to read it and we'll make it real, real quick here. It's the regulations. It's kind of some of the things we've seen before. But he wanted to make sure that they knew what to do. The Lord said to Moses, Okay, this is the ordinance of the Passover. This is important. No foreigner shall eat it. Oh. Hang on, though. No Gentile is going to eat that. But, he's got a but there in verse 44. Every man's servant who is bought, bought for money, somebody who's not an Israelite, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. What's that giving us a picture of? Gentiles. Gentiles who become converts. God's grace. But this is really going to be real. If you have a servant and he's not Jewish, if he's circumcised, then he can partake. 
A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Oh, does that remind you of something? Christ the Passover lamb was not going to have any bones broken. We talked about that last week. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land. He'll be just like a Jew, a proselyte. He can take of that. Uh, must be circumcised though. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. He shall be that identified with being a Jew. He won't be a Jew, but he'll be circumcised and now he can partake of that great Passover. It's a great thing. Passover is a great thing. What a great illustration it is. Don't ever let anybody tell you that the Passover is something that we shouldn't even pay attention to anymore. Because it is very important. That's why we did that last week. To see how important down to the details God is. This whole Exodus story is very key to our salvation. Because it's all illustrated. And if they say something about those particular elements, say, why do we have elements in the Lord's Supper? Why do we do that? You have physical things to help remind you of the spiritual things. That's all. Is there anything saving in in those at all? No. Work has been done. But to illustrate, it's just like going through the Word of God. We want to go through the book of Exodus. We're going through the book of Exodus. We're seeing historically... But we're also seeing what God and His power can do. And we remember that. One law, verse 49, shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Grace of God. He can take somebody outside and bring them into it. They shall have the same law. The native born, the stranger. Wow. That is a gracious God. He could have said, it's going to be the Jews, Jews only, and that's the way it's going to be. No. That's not his plan. He's going to... So all along through history, they have a few, there are a few proselytes, a few Gentiles that are included in with the blessings of the Jewish people. Not a lot. And it says in Romans 9, 10, 11, now you have the Gentile time and there are a few Jews who are being saved too. Yeah. That's how God's plan works. And pretty simple. I think it's tremendous how God does that. He has chosen us that He puts together as a family. It's incredible. And we have the law that's been fulfilled through the person of Christ. We love God. We love our neighbor. And so it all comes into that one law for us. Verse 50. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. All the children of Israel did just what Moses told them. Which is what God had told Moses. They did it. They obeyed. Obedience. Isn't it amazing how it works when people obey? Later on, we're going to see what happens when they don't obey. (laughs) And then you don't see good results. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their omnipotence. 
The Passover was a way to worship God and that emphasized the redemption story. I think it certainly puts the spotlight on the omnipotence of God. As long as the feast is celebrated, it magnifies the very power of God. Future generations, looking back at that generation, they will see the obedience as expected. And they are to do that same thing. God is true to the covenant that He made with Abram. And He had told them what was going to happen to the nation. That's what it was done. And the Israelites were called to remember this. Nothing is to be done without a command and then obedience of, that, of those directions. In the regulations from 43 there through 49, God provides for the Jews, provides for the Gentiles, and anyone who has professed Jesus Christ, trusted in that sacrifice on the cross, is baptized, they participate in the community of believers at the Lord's table. And uh, I think that is just an incredible thing. We continue to remember that. This chapter concludes with Israel committing to do as they were commanded and God did for them as He had promised. He will certainly be the author of salvation to those who are His, to those who obey Him. Isn't that wonderful? What happened that night, this is application here, emphasizes that the Lord was in charge. I don't think I... Oh, did I put it up there? Okay, good. I thought I omitted it. God all along told Moses what was going to happen. Then the promises came true. God's word never fails. And His plan, His timing, is always right. If that be true during the time of this exodus that was going on then, does it apply for us today? All that He says is true. He's going to do it. And we just need to trust and obey. His plan will always go. Always. Every time as He wants it. This is a sovereign God. I am pleased to be serving a sovereign God. No matter how, when we think it ought to go, it's going to be in God's timing and in His way, His purpose. Believe it. Bank on it because that's the way it's going to be. And be settled in that. And just thank God. Let's pray.